are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit organization Win Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global product lead at Win by Night and product manager by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to season five of the Win Win Women in Innovation podcast. I cannot believe that this is the season that we will hit 100 episodes. There are such incredible guests coming on from all sorts of companies you may have heard of and companies that you are going to fall in love with. And I may even have some guests coming back from the early days to talk about what they have been up to since Win Win launched almost two years ago. You've heard me say it on this podcast and several times, but I think about that summer of 2020 for many reasons, but I was personally in such a pivotal point in my personal life, in my professional life, and frankly, just terrified walking out of my master's degree to having job offers revoked and to really having to rethink my entire career after having a very specific reason to go to grad school in a very specific subset of companies that I was interested in and were interested in me. And I think the biggest lesson that I learned was about the importance of innovating yourself and what you perceive to be success because the world is not static and neither are industries. And it was through launching this podcast and expanding my horizons that I learned about the different areas of innovation and moved away from product marketing and brand marketing to product management and fintech. And I'm just so incredibly grateful And I'd say if you had to take something away from my experience, it's that no matter what stage of your career you are at, you do have to be strategic, but also you have to follow your intuition and lean into who you are and to have a little bit of faith and accept the twists and turns of your trajectory, especially the ones that you did not account for. And so anyway, before we get into today's episode, which features Vrinda Gupta, who is the CEO and co-founder of a fintech called Sequin, I would love to tell you a quick story. When I moved to New York at the end of 2015, I was looking for my first apartment in the city, and I had found this tiny, maybe 350 square foot apartment, which I ironically called the Soho Palace because it was anything but a palace. I went to sign the lease and the broker had asked to run a credit check so I could get approved for the apartment. Now, I had a credit card outside of the States and I had already been living in the States for a few months in university housing, so I said, sure, go ahead. And when he ran my credit score, nothing came back because I did not have any credit history and so he told me that I just could not rent the apartment. Obviously, I was freaking out and crying and calling my mom, who had suggested I show him my bills, which I pay every month, and my bank account statements, but the only thing he would allow was for me to pay six months of rent up front and then put another three months of rent into a deposit account so I can escrow. And I tried everything, but it was the only thing he'd accept, and it was just so much money and just put such a financial burden on my family And it made me feel like I could not be set up for success without a credit score. So I went and I tried to get a credit card, rejected. I tried to get another one, rejected. Fast forward to seven years later, I am lucky to have learned all about credit history and found a way to build my credit score up, but I still consider that to be such a privilege that I have. And I've seen so many other friends and people suffer from this exact problem, which is cyclical 
and not having credit really just changes our ability to have access to basic needs in society. And that is why I am incredibly grateful to and excited to give this win-win platform to Vrinda Gupta, who has set out to fix this huge issue by launching Sequin, which is a debit card that builds credit. So you heard that right, a debit card that actually builds credit without you having to go and apply for a credit card and get rejected like me. And Vrinda has the most incredible background, which she will talk all about, but she's absolutely been killing it as a founder. She's gone through Y Combinator. She's raised capital from some of the most impressive women and people in the world. And I'm just so inspired by her. I want to give her as much airtime as possible, so I will hand it over to her. But I hope that outside of this episode, you check her and her product out at sequincar.com and also share this episode with a friend or a colleague if you enjoyed it. Hi, Rinda. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Honestly, I feel like the purpose of this podcast is for me and not just for our listeners because I personally resonate and align with your mission so much. And I think there's so much to break down in your journey and in the problem that you're solving. So kicking it off with your background, a lot of the education that you received in your financial services background came from spending five years at Visa. And I know that your first two years were in a rotational program, meaning you got to try a little bit of everything before landing on your product management role. So before we talk about all things sequin and credit and business school, talk to me about how you even decided to go to Visa as a woman, as a woman of color, and what the rotational program has taught you about the industry and your own career interests. Absolutely. So my family and I are first-generation immigrants from India. And growing up, after we moved to the United States, I noticed that my mom, who is my superhero, had just one fear, and that fear was the financial services system, and especially credit specifically. And from my mom's perspective, credit had a lot of gotchas where you could get into debt, you could make a mistake that really follows you throughout your life. And because of that, and because of that fear, I saw my mom rely on my dad when it came to matters of our household finances. And that made a big impact on me because I wanted my mom to feel empowered. And I mm -hmm. got so much power from learning from my mom. And so when I started thinking about where I wanted my career to start, financial services was kind of a natural entry for me and was more than just a job because it was a way for me to empower my mom and, and myself. And so I really liked the idea of working at Visa. I applied to the job because I thought financial services were so core to our lives and our values. It was very important to empower myself with all of that knowledge. And so the rotational program was a really great way for me to understand, A, the different aspects of a large corporation. So I got to go from marketing to sales to analytics to digital products. And the second piece was it was just a great way for me to kind of understand what I personally felt really passionate about as well, because i had had a few internships at that point, but I didn't really know what it would mean to work in a function for a long time. So I thought the rotational program was a great kind of taste of the different parts of an organization. And I was able to understand where I fit into the org. 
Oh my gosh, where do I even begin? So yes, I'm also a first-generation immigrant to Israel, and I guess maybe the first-generation immigrant to the States too. And, you know, it's so interesting that you say that about your mom, because, you know, my mom's moved multiple countries. She's been a widow. She's been a single mother. And I look at her and I see so much strength. And then I look at these banking systems, these financial services systems, and I say, they're really not built for somebody like her. So I, I definitely resonate with that part of your story, But what's surprising to me about you is I was kind of like, oh my God, this is not the industry I want to be in. This is the furthest industry I want to be in. And actually when I landed in financial services and it really revealed that I did not have my financial services in order, I did not have a 401k, my credit score was a joke. So I guess I'm curious, when you started, did you have your finances together? Would you have considered yourself in good financial shape, financially literate, all that good stuff? The eye-opening piece for me was, as an immigrant, my dad was the one who was really teaching me about finances. And the Mm -hmm. piece that he always said was, you know, use a credit card, use it responsibly. I will open up a card in in my name and I'll get you to be an authorized user and that'll start building your credit. And so going into Visa, I said, yeah, you know, I've paid all of my bills on time. I, Mm -hmm. you know, you, I'm, I'm responsible with my finances. I'm building credit or so I thought through my dad's credit card. And that was really where, you know, my journey to what is now sequence started where I, was building popular credit cards as a PM on the credit cards team at Visa. And my team and I built a product called the Chase Sapphire Reserve, which is very popular amongst young people, especially. And I thought I was set up well um, to apply for the card. And of course, I was writing the rules for these products. So I thought I understood. And I applied for the card that I built and I got rejected when I was at work. And it was this moment where... I just did not understand what had happened because mm-hmm. to answer your question, I thought that I was doing everything right. And right. then what I realized was that being a secondary user or an authorized user was not building my credit effectively. It was actually building my dad's credit. And then the payments that were under my name were under a debit card, which is not building credit. And Mm -hmm. so after I got rejected, I was shocked. And of course, you know, I was fortunate to make a great income at Visa. But the credit issuers, the ones who are deciding whether to give me a product or not, they don't take income into account. So I lacked credit history. And the worst part was I didn't even know what to do after I'd gotten rejected. And, And it was kind of this moment where there's this chicken and egg where you need credit to build credit. And if you get rejected from a credit product, then that hits your credit score. So It just felt like this very important test of life that I had never been taught how to study for and the penalties were really severe. And so it kind of got me thinking, you know, I thought I was equipped. I am not, clearly. I saw in Visa data that 70% of women were spending like me and not building their credit and having these negative credit experiences. And it brought me back to the fear that my mom always had about the financial system. And I thought, you know, I was breaking this generational barrier into financial services. And of course, here I am just sitting at Visa having that same exact experience. So that was the very kind of genesis of, all right, something is seriously messed up here. There you are literally building the product yourself. And that's like go inclusive design principles, but yet you are not, according to them, qualified. 
But, you know, I want to go back to this conversation around credit because you did have financial literacy and you did have an understanding of the systems and, of course, the technology from your day-to-day job. And you started your own company. You really did focus it on this notion of credit. So what is the ripple effect of not having credit and what impact does it have on underserved populations, but women especially? The way I have come to think about credit is credit is access to opportunity, especially in this country. And you need credit for every goal, basically, that we have. So whether that's I want to buy a house, I want a car, or I want to rent an apartment, or I need a loan, many employers will look at your credit to see if they can employ you. So it comes to a matter of even, can I get a job? Your credit score, I like to say, is kind of the only grade that matters after you graduate. And (laughs) the challenge is with credit is if you don't get started on the right foot, it is very time consuming and very challenging to do anything to bring that score up. And it's not impossible, but it makes borrowing so much more expensive. And this is true of any population. But especially as we looked at women, we look at minorities, we look at underserved populations, there is an even greater effect because we're not building our credit as effectively, primarily because we don't know and we haven't really been taught the rules of the system. And some of the stats that I've seen are banks are spending 13 times advertising to men than they are advertising to women. So we're not even aware of some of these products. The other really shocking stat that I found was that women are half as likely to have received a lesson on credit and finances by the time they graduate high school than men are. And so, and, you know, we all know we're not taught about credit in school and and finances, you know, really Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. that. And so there's this gap that never really closes. And so when I look at credit and I look at the system, I say there's a knowledge gap, there's an awareness gap. If you don't know the rules of a game, you don't want to play. And that's just, how the world works. And so I think, you know, it's it's a very complex issue, but it all kind of comes down to the fact that the financial system was never designed with women, with minorities in mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Women could be rejected from a credit card without a male cosigner until 1974. And so the entire system was truly not designed to center women. So of course, there are downstream impacts of that system that, again, you know, disproportionately impact anyone who the system wasn't built for. And and so, you know, now we're here. Absolutely. And I mean, 1974 sounds maybe to some of the Gen Z people listening like a long time away, but it's it's really, really not, right? I mean, this is talking about modern day discrimination based on your gender. In this podcast, we talk about inclusive design and innovation and, of course, gender. But I'm sure some people listening may say, Verinda, you're right. Credit is a serious issue. It's an issue that women are clearly disproportionately affected by. You just gave some stats. But why are you building a product for women and not a product for all underrepresented minorities? Why is this a debit card built for women? One of my favorite quotes is from the president of the Women's World Bank. And what she said, and I'll say it slowly, is when you build products centered around women, you build better products for everybody. Hmm. And unfortunately, the opposite is not true. And so with our sequin card, we are 
welcoming everyone. It's not just for women. It's built to center women. And what we've come up with is a product that I believe is the best credit builder on the market. And that is because we built it around women and centering women, but it really is open to everyone. So we've just kind of used that design principle to be a bit more inclusive in our design. And sure enough, we've heard from so many folks, men included, saying, this is cool. Can I use this? And I say, yeah, this is, we would love to have you. So, you know, we're already seeing that play out. Yeah, totally, totally get that. And I do think that there is a lot of like branding versus pinkwashing going on. And I'd really love to hear you talk about the features that you've implemented. I know you focus on the pink tax and the way that the card gives you rewards with really features that are targeted at women. And it's not just like a branding place. So I'd really love to hear you talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So there are multiple features that make this product centered around women, and that affects end-to-end our product. So of course, at kind of the, the highest level, you can see that our product is marketed towards persons who identify as women. But mm-hmm. we also have credit education that is centered around how women are looking at finances differently than how men are looking at finances or other populations are looking at finances. Totally. And and it's different, right? Because if you aren't taught about these concepts, then there are different ways that you're going to relate with those concepts. We also are very, very cognizant about centering community and making sure that there are safe spaces to talk about finances because we do see a gap in the number of women who are talking about money and finances versus you know other populations as well. And I was just on Instagram the other day and I was scrolling on, I think it was Investopedia. And I had mm-hmm. to scroll five or six times just to find a woman on the page. And so there's a lot of this kind of subliminal messaging going on as well. So of course, you know, that's kind of the, I don't want to call it superficial, but the highest, highest aspect of it. Mm -hmm. When you go a level deeper on our product. So Sequin is a debit card that comes with a line of credit and that line of credit becomes available on the debit card. What we're seeing is that women are disproportionately spending on debit cards, that 70% number that I saw at Visa. And so essentially, debit cards aren't building credit, but it is a much kind of safer tool because it doesn't have the gotchas of credit. So we've kind of created this debit card-like experience in our product. And actually having that debit card come with credit building functionality is pretty innovative in terms of what's on the market. A level deeper on that is the way that we actually control for some of the factors in credit scoring that are disproportionately impacting women and reflecting societal bias. And one of those is credit utilization. Mm. So as a quick aside, one of the top factors that goes into your credit score is this notion of credit utilization, which is very simply the percentage of your credit line that you're using product by product. So if you have a $10,000 credit line and you use 5,000 of it at a point in time, then your credit utilization is 50%. And what happens with credit scoring is you want to keep credit utilization below, ideally below 35%. If you're above that, you're in the red zone and that can really take your credit. What Mm -hmm. we say as credit experts is you want your credit utilization below 10% at all times, every single day of the month. So what I hear is, 
but Brenda, I pay my credit card off in full and on time at the end of the month. So what's the problem? And the problem is that you don't know the day that your credit utilization is going to be reported to the credit bureaus. So even if you're paying it off at the end of the month, if your utilization is 50% in the middle of the week, that can really tank your credit score. I thought that there was one single point in time, and then my experience score showed that they actually take it two or three times a month. And I was like, wait, what? I thought it was once. So don't be misled by that. <laughs> it's it's You do not know the date that's going to be reported, and it's not consistent um, throughout the month. And it is at the issuer's discretion as to how many times they want to report it, when they want to report it. Um, there's not you know strong guidelines on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what we saw in our research at Sequin was that because women are getting lower credit lines, and that's due to the gender wage gap, that's due to the fact that we're lacking credit history, even if we are using the same raw dollar amount of our credit as someone else's, then our credit utilization looks higher. It's automatically higher, yeah. Even though statistically, women are better to lend to. We're more likely to pay off our debts on time. And so what we do at Sequin is we make sure that your credit utilization is always below 10% at the time that your credit is being reported. And we did trials around that. And we actually saw that by reducing your credit utilization to below 10% for you, we saw an average, a 20 point credit score increase in a week. And one woman had 118 point credit score increase. So whether you use Sequin or not, What I always say is pay off your credit card every Friday if you can. That'll usually keep you under the the threshold that you want to be at. And the other piece is if you make a big purchase, just pay it off as soon as it shows up on your statement and keep your credit utilization low because that's the biggest thing you can do for your credit score. At Sequin, we do it for you. Um, So that's kind of the second piece in terms of the product and really specifically why this is designed to help women um, and minorities. And then the last piece is around rewards. Um, What I saw when I was building credit cards at Visa and building popular rewards cards was the rewards categories are actually rewarding where men are spending, which is, you know, dining, travel, etc. And again, I spend in those categories as well. But also as women, we're slated to own 75% of discretionary spend, 75% by the end of this decade. And we're almost there. It's so much spending power. And fundamentally, as women, we're spending in different categories. And so that includes household goods. That includes retail. That includes pharmacies and healthcare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. And, And even ones that you don't think about, right? You think about public transportation at night. I'm probably not going to be taking public transit. I'm going to be taking a ride share because I mm-hmm. feel a lot safer that way. Completely. And that ends up being another cost. And so um, in terms of our rewards, we are actually um, giving cash back in categories where women are spending more, which is some pink tax categories, some other hidden cost categories. And it's actually a lot of categories because unfortunately, um, the pink tax. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. (laughs) Many categories. Yeah. Women are paying more 42% of the time for everyday products and services. But we also have a lot of amazing partnerships with women founded venture backed companies that help women reach our life goals, which is everything. So we have, um, 
mental health services. We have personal branding services. We do workshops on how to care for the climate and carbon offsets. We talk about um, investing, et cetera. So there's so much more that, that we've really thought about how can a credit builder and a financial tool truly level up your life as a woman, which again is, you know, anything that you want to be. So we're really excited that end to end, this wasn't just, you know, a pink washed marketing play. There are Mm -hmm. some very real issues around credit that are affecting women when it comes to credit scoring or when it comes to getting value out of your product. And we wanted to address each of those. Totally. And one thing I want to call out is I had the chief product officer of Alavest come here and she said, I really want to shatter this perception that a product can be really, really feature heavy and impressive from a utility point of view and also can't be pretty. And I think that that's so accurate about what you're doing because clearly there's such an element of design in your work as well as this notion of, hey, this actually does the job. So just wanted to call that out. Taking it back to, you know, when you had this idea, I know that financial services and fintech is definitely considered like such a sexy category now. However, what people don't realize when starting a fintech company is the amount of regulatory issues, how difficult the tech stack is, how difficult innovation is. You don't just wave a magic wand, whereas in some other industries, you can get away with a lot more. So you know, you set off to be a founder in between, you take some time off, you go to business school, you get experience from IDEO, which ultimately ends up investing in you. But as you come up with this idea, what was your process of actually tackling all of the really, really big regulatory compliance, logistical feasibility issues? And were there any alternative ideas that you actually decided not to go with? Absolutely. I mean, the the most challenging piece of starting a fintech is the regulatory environment. And one of the pieces that, you know, they always talk about what is your unfair advantage? And I think one of the pieces that I've been so fortunate to have is my experience at Visa, where Mm -hmm. I was writing nationwide credit regulations. And so really understanding what you can and cannot do and advocating for those things as well. So, you know, sometimes when we're working with our different partners, there are questions around, well, you know, something like this hasn't really been done before. Can you do that? And so with credibility, being able to say, yes, um, you know, I wrote these rules. I know what the intention behind them was. And, um, you know, shout out to my amazing technical co-founder, Mark. Thomas, he'd spent a decade at PayPal in engineering leadership. And so, you know, really understands the financial engineering side of things as well. Um, It's still a nascent industry, right? You know, to your point, now fintech is very sexy. When I first entered fintech in 2013, um, it was not that. (laughs) And it became that while I was there, which was very cool to kind of have learned from the industry leader. But it's very, very challenging. Um, And, you know, innovation in the space is something that, you know, they say move, move fast and break things. FinTech is you move fast, but you can't break anything. Nope. Um, and so the considerations when it comes to people's privacy, people's data, people's finances, people's credit, you don't mess around with it. And, you know, our standards of putting something in front of people are a lot higher versus we were doing something else. So I think that is both the moat. And I think it's, it is very, very challenging from that aspect. But it's also, you know, I think there's so much impact and so much room for innovation, because 
that is the case. And there are ways to rethink the way that this industry has been architected. And in the, in the history of industries, um, fintech is still a pretty nascent one. So it's very exciting, especially credit to see what all you can do, um, whether it's in the products or whether it is in the experience end to end. There's so much room to reimagine products, especially designed around certain populations who have traditionally been underserved. Honestly, the world is is very much your oyster. And I'm sure as you go through to launching the product and getting inputs from your users, there's more and more that you can explore too. I really think that there's so many problems that go beyond credit that you can use credit as a starting point to explore. I was recently having a conversation and we were talking about boards and boards of startups as well as investors. And somebody was saying, it's really easy to say, oh, I don't want so-and-so on my cap table or I don't need to take money from this company. But at the end of the day, money is money and people take it. And I think that that's a really interesting point of view. And I think that especially for people who are trying to fundraise, it's so difficult. But I know you were exceptionally picky about who is on your cap table. So I really want to hear about that process. And I do really want to learn more about how you see yourself tapping into your board, how you see yourself tapping into your investors as you continue to grow your company. One of the decisions that I made early on in the company's history was a commitment to being very intentional end-to-end about my company's operations. And that was everything from who our investors were going to be, that's who we wanted to hire, that's who I wanted my who I wanted my co-founder to be, who we were going to serve. Um, and ultimately, you know, my motivation for this company is is to help women. And I hope by doing that, I can help everyone. And when I started thinking about fundraising, I did hear that advice, money is money. But for me and and for Sequin, Sequin is such a mission-driven company. And that needed to be reflected end-to-end. And I wanted to have investors who got it. And so when I first went out to fundraise, there were actually... um, a few kind of more traditional VCs that didn't have a lot of diversity on their own leadership. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I said, you know, I'm in this amazing position where I, I want to build a huge and successful company and I want women to reap the benefits of that. And I also want women every day who understand, right? What is the problem in the industry I've heard so many of our investors now say, you know, one of them is a, was a, a founder of a unicorn company. And mm-hmm. she said, I just applied for a credit card and I got rejected. And oh another God. one said, I went to get a mortgage and they made my husband sign and I make more money than him. And these are women <laughs> whose names you know. And so, you know, that was what I looked for when I went out to fundraise. I said, you know, there is, there are disproportionately fewer women VCs out there and there, there are fewer women angel investors out there. But I was very intentional, even though it took me a little longer on getting just really smart women who got it. And 92% of our cap table is women, including Carrie Schwab Pomerantz, who's the president of the Charles Schwab Foundation, which is amazing. And, and so many other women who I really, really respect. And even though it was harder at that point, and if you had asked me the point of time, I might have said, hey, money is money, just right. let's keep, <laughs> keep moving. 
now that I'm further along in my company and we've had, you know, two rounds of financing, I'm really grateful for the composition of our cap table because again, they get it. I can go to them and say, you know, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Or how should I think about this? Or, you know, can you just look at this and let me know? Or can you connect me to this person? And, and they're so supportive because they get it and they feel it and they understand why this is important in the world. So I respect our investors and it's just such a great kind of mutually beneficial relationship. And when I hear money is money, I I don't think all money is green necessarily when it comes to Mm -hmm, fundraising. mm -hmm. Yeah. So on that note, and before I ask our last question, you're such an optimistic person who's full of life and so incredibly articulate, but I imagine you've gotten a lot of no's and have had hard days along the way too. So take me through the process of, you know, some of your lower moments in this journey. How did you get back up and how do you continue to get back up? Starting a company is the hardest thing I have ever had to do. And it has challenged me in ways that I didn't know were possible. And the lows that I felt throughout this are the lowest lows I've ever felt. And the highs, Mm -hmm. of course, are some of the highest (laughs) highs. There have been so many challenges every single day. I mean, starting from getting our product to market has been very tough from a regulatory standpoint, from you know, we had a key partner drop out at the beginning of the pandemic that ended mm. up delaying our launch. It took me a really long time to find my now amazing technical co-founder just because there aren't, you know, a lot of people in this space who care as much about, you know, what we're doing and have the mission that experience. driven piece. Mm-hmm, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And so I'm so grateful for my co-founder, but I was a solo founder for a long time. And that was really hard. And I mean, gosh, I can go on and on. But I think, you know, on those days, One thing that I did that was very important was continuing to talk to women every single day, even on on the worst days, (laughs) I would try to talk to at least one woman. And I would hear from them that I really need this. I, you know, I'm in a bad relationship because I can't leave because my credit is attached to my husband. Or it would be, you know, this young woman who's saying, I feel like I did everything right. And I can't get the products that I want. And on my credit, I don't know how to build my credit. And, right. and it just, it felt so important. And so on the days where I was really low, on the days where I was getting no's, I would just hear their voices and say, know that the ones that come to mind are, you know, I left a bad relationship because I was able to build my credit. Like those are days where I'm like on calls, right? Because this is, it's really real. And, and I think finally, you know, going back to my mom, I mean, I hear her saying, I feel so much more confident in the system because of your product and women need this. I need this. And so I think just going back to your why and, and that is what a mission driven company is, is, is you're on a mission. And I think when you are on a mission, everything else kind of feels less important than your mission. And that includes the nose. Completely. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. And so I guess before I do let you go, I'd love to ask you one last innovation question. And that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? 
A month from now, I am really excited to start beta testing our sequin card. So a bit a bit of a plug. Um, we're building out our wait list right now. You can check it out on sequincard.com. So we're going to be starting to beta test and I can't wait. So that's in a month. A year from now, we're really excited to have our product broadly available and start building women's credit and thinking through kind of the next few products, all of it starts with credit, right? But there's so much more that we want to build, including um, more premium credit products as well that we can graduate you onto after you've kind of built your credit. And 10 years from now, there is so much potential in this space to really build an end-to-end product that's tied towards your life goals. And so having products that help you get into the system, like our sequin card that comes with this line of credit that helps you build credit all the way down to, let's say you want to buy a house, right? Mortgages, even thinking through products that don't really exist on the market today, like loans from maternity leave, right? That doesn't Mm -hmm. exist. I hope we can build that by the time I'm there because I think that's really important. So, you know, really centering end-to-end financial products that are keeping up with women's aspirations and helping us navigate all of those different life experiences that we do need finances and financial products for and helping nurture women through the system from the very beginning all the way through is something that, you know, we are building towards. And that's the future that I think, you know, really allows credit to equal opportunity and, you know, really equalizes the playing field for women and and minorities and, you know, whoever else might need our product. I love that. And Verinda, you're everything I love about entrepreneurship and seeing women in this space. So thank you so much for coming on the Win Win Podcast and sharing both your personal story and the story of Sequin with us. Thank you for having me, Zoya. This was really fun. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.